0: Good morning, South Spring. As you can see, to my left, my right, we're in the middle of the first half of the book of John. If this is uh, totally new to you, I hope you can jump in with us. We'll have the scriptures up in just a moment. But I, uh, I particularly like the Gospel of John because it's not a normal synoptic gospel. The gospel of John is divided into really two sections. It's divided in chapters 1 through 12 and then 13 through 21. And those two sections are specifically spoken of as the purpose together for the book of John, for the gospel of John. These things in chapter 20 verse 31, I have written, says the apostle, that you may believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God. That's chapters 1 through 12. And then in chapters 13 through 21, what John says is having believed, that then you may have life in Christ, in Him. So in chapters 1 through 12, you have come to Christ, find out what He's like, who He is, what He has done for you, and then put your trust your full faith, your belief in him. Then chapters 13 through 21, become a follower of Christ. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you follow him, you'll find life abundantly. So that is the uh, purpose of the whole 21 chapters. 1 through 12, believe, 13 through 21. Be a disciple, a Jesus follower, and find real life. So it's not so much a synoptic gospel, It's unique in that way. The others correlate chronologically. They put together the events, the miracles of Jesus for the three and a half years. But John's different. What you'll see is that John in the first 12 chapters says no to the summary synopsis and yes to the pick seven. That's right. That's what he does. He says, I'm not going to go for everything. I'm going for a select seven Miracles. In fact, I'm not even going to call them miracles like the other guys. The other guys called them dunamis. That's the Greek word for miracle. But John says, "Uh "Uh-uh. I'm going to call them samion. Samion. Sign is what that Greek word means. It's like you're driving down the highway and you see this big billboard. This big." Uh, uh, sign on the the interstate on I-20 and it's got a big arrow pointing from the miracle to Jesus being the son of God trust in him that's what these seven miracles are designed to do from chapter 2 the wedding of Canaan Galilee where water was turned into wine all the way to the climactic miracle of John chapter 11 the resurrection of Lazarus Boy, you know, Jesus waited four days. You know why? Because the Jews believed that the soul was kept within the body for the first three days. But on that fourth day, but after three days, the soul would depart. So Jesus came after four days to show he, how he was. The resurrection as the Son of God and the life. Put your trust in him, that climactic miracle. So we're going to look at our... Uh, our miracle, our Sameon for today. And it's in John chapter six, beginning in verse one. And I want you to specifically, as you follow to my left or right, uh, look at verses two and 14, because you'll see specifically that word sign rather than miracle, John's purpose. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret or Tiberius after the emperor and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs verse 2 the Simeon which he was performing on those who were sick and Jesus went up to the mountain around the Bethsaida area and there he sat down with his 12 disciples Now, the Passover, one of those three predominant feasts that the Jews of 20 and over were required to attend in that year. In fact, one of their three tithes, according to the Mosaic law, was given that they might afford that journey and that festival stayover, that celebration. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a huge crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, one of the twelve, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now he was saying this because he was constantly training, testing the disciples, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, contrast, Stark contrast to Philip Andrew. Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a lad over here. I don't know how he got in the crowd, but he's here and he's got this sack lunch. And in that sack lunch, there are five barley loaves and two fish. But how inadequate are they? They're really insufficient, aren't they? For so many people. Jesus said, uh, have the people sit down. Your first assignment as ushers. Now, there was much grass on that plain near Bethsaida. So the men sat down and number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. In those days, I'm not sure that they had often as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Notice this again at the end, from verse 2 to verse 14, beginning to conclusion. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, the Sameon, pointing to Christ, the Creator, the one who would die for them, take their place at the cross, which he had performed. They said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, what I would like to do with this simple passage of the Sameon, the sign miracle, is give you four bullet points. I want to take you through this passage with these points in mind. And then I would like to draw to our attention four specific applications. Four, three, excuse me, three specific applications, three messages, because I think within this passage, that which is displayed are three audiences listening and watching what Jesus is doing, the Sameon. The first point, the first bullet point I'd like to give you, is that this is the only miracle of Christ that finds itself in all four gospels. It's the only one, pretty important miracle. Jesus uses this feeding of the 5,000 as I look at chapter 6 verse 26 as really a prelude to what he's going to give and that is the longest gospel presentation in all the New Testament it's called the bread of life discourse so the foundation of it is the giving of all this bread with fish to the thousands of people And then he's going to work from that as the foundation to construct I am the bread of life. In verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate. You were filled to the max with the loaves that I gave to you. So this is that important of a message that he springboards from, but that's included in each of the gospels. Second bullet point. I think that this is really a misnamed miracle. May I be so bold? I think it's a misnomer. It says in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the people sat down. In number, about 5,000, so the men, Notice that, specifically gender. The men sat down. How many? 5,000. I don't think this was a men's gathering. I think it was a mass gathering of people. So if you have 5,000 men, I'm going to suggest that you had women and children. How many? I don't know. But I'm going to suggest that from my experience with the gospel and my experience as a pastor for over 30 years, women are incredibly sensitive immediately to the spiritual, to that which is of God. It's as though they have internal feelers and receptacles. That they're eager to follow after Jesus Christ, oftentimes a little faster than men. Take, for example, the beginning of the Philippi ministry, that particular incredible where generals resided city of the Roman Empire, pretty famous one. Where did Paul begin? Down by the riverside with whom? Women, Lydia and other ladies, a prayer group. That's where the ministry to Philippi began. Oftentimes women are very, very sensitive. Maybe some of you here this day are here guys because your mother or your wife said, come on! We got to go to church. God needs to speak to All of us, especially you. (laughs) And it was good that I came, as my wife said to me, also giving the message today. So, what you see are women very sensitive to that. So, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say, you know what? If there were 5,000 men, there could easily have been 10,000 women. And what do you find when you find women? You have moms. You think you have many children? Well, if you were very, very conservative and just had one and a half child, one and a half children, excuse me, per mom, you could have easily 15,000 children. And you just didn't drop them off at a relative. You were going to see what this man who had this ring of truth, these incredible statements from God, this prophet, as they perceived, they wanted to hear from him. Come on, kids, we're going. So they followed him. A nine mile route, they were tired, they were hungry, they followed, they were sensitive spiritually. Put those figures together, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, men, women, and children, you could easily come up not with five, but with 30,000 people, perhaps misnamed. The feeding of the 30,000, perhaps more appropriate. And so the third bullet point I'd like to give you is this. <clears throat> this really is an impossible situation. Not just improbable, impossible. Meeting the needs of these kind of people, this many people, was really an impossible. Look at verse 5. Therefore Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd, verse 2, a large crowd followed him. He looked at Philip and he said, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Philip was from the Bethsaida area. So, Philip, I'm looking at you. Now, obviously, he was intending to test and train Philip. But Philip didn't even answer the question. Philip was so stunned that Jesus wanted to do something for the masses that he didn't say where we can go to Costco or Sam's. He he knew the restaurants in the area. But he said, what, not where, By way of answer. He said, what are you asking in banking terms? We have insufficient funds. I mean, we don't have enough money. I mean, if you were to put 200 denarii together, that's what he says. A denarius, by the way, was the amount given to a working person for a whole day's job, a whole day's work, eight hours, nine hours. So if you had two-thirds of a year's salary. It wouldn't even touch the needs that are here in this mass crowd. So he didn't say, well, where we could go. He just completely ignored that and said, we don't have any money at all with which to buy anything. Why even be concerned with where we go? So that was Philip's response. Philip was the kind of guy that looked at things, not just objectively, but kind of like the bottle's half empty. And that's what I'm focusing on. I don't even know where to start. But on the other hand, on the other hand, nothing is impossible with God. That's the fourth point. Nothing is impossible with God. I think of Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh Lord God, you've created the heavens and the earth with your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And so I kind of like what Andrew does. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, as he's called in verse eight. By the way, may I just depart for a second? I had a two-year-old brother, still do, two-year older brother. Uh, I was always known as Scott's brother. Any of you in that plight? Some sister, some brother, but you're the younger sibling, so you're always known as the one younger and associated with the one with the name, you know, my big brother. I'm bigger than my older brother, but he's still my big brother. Amazing. So that's the way Andrew was known. But I kind of like this guy. You know why? He said, yeah, it doesn't seem as though what we have is sufficient, but it's kind of a starting point. Look at what he says. There's a lad who's here, verse 9. He's got five barley loaves and two fish, but obviously they're insufficient. What are these for so many people? But it's a start. Let's start with the half full glass of water. And those really are people that I would like to be more like because they're more palatable. They make for a great team, don't they? Things are just easier, easier flowing when you have someone say, well, you know, maybe we could work with this. There are possibilities, even in an improbable or impossible situation. So that's Andrew. Now, in verse 9, what does he discover that's in that sack lunch? Now, you have to remember, this little kid that's coming along with the crowd isn't pushing a grocery basket. He's got a little sack lunch. I mean, this is really for a little boy and his lunch, not for a week, but for that particular period of time, very short, okay? And so, what he's got is this little happy meal. I mean, that's it. And it's not for many people, it's for one only. Him exclusively. His mom was going to take care of him. So she gave him barley loaves. Now, when we think of loaves of bread in America now, we think of these huge and plastic loaves of oral wheat or whatever, you know. But they weren't. They were these little five inch in diameter, flat little looking pancake loaves of bread. About that big. That's it. And they were made of barley grain. Now, you probably, most of you, have not tasted barley grain. And I've been in Russia countless number of times from Razan, an old capital, to way up to St. Petersburg, Moscow, Varonis, where St. Peter, I mean, well, Peter the Great, started the Russian Navy. We've been all over, and we had barley. Can I just tell you about barley for a minute? It's terrible.
1: <laughs> it, it,
0: it's coarse. I called it bitter barley. It's really the barley of the poor people, the common people of that day. So this was a sort of a subsistence grain. This is all we have. Eat it and be happy, the mother probably said. But that's what they had, not the sweet wheat, the bitter barley. And then there's a little fish. You're probably thinking, oh, they probably caught some big black bass right out of the Sea of Galilee, I ah, don't think so. These weren't lunkers. A little boy's are carrying around 10-pound black bass, you know, large-mouth bass. I mean, he's got these fish that were very easy to catch and skim off the top of the Sea of Galilee with a particular kind of a net. And they would pickle those little fish that were no bigger than sardines, like Chad. I mean, they're really, really small for a little boy, okay? And so they would pickle them. Refrigeration wasn't available. No uh, KitchenAid or Gen Air, you with me? I mean, you just, and, and really fresh fish was a luxury for the wealthy. So none of those people in that crowd would have that, especially this little boy. They were pickled, preserved, salted a little bit. And that was what they got on the Sea of Galilee and how they preserved them. And so this little sack lunch is really all they had from this little boy that Andrew says, hey, this little kid's willing to let us use that. And so Andrew, half full, says, I don't know. It's a start. What do you think, Jesus? And so, what Jesus does in verse 10, without any fanfare, he just says, Fellows, have the people sit down. And all this plain near Bethsaida that was normally filled with grass. I want you to organize this. First job as ushers, remember, and we're going to have you have these men sit down in an—I mean, these thirty thousand people sit down, men, women, and children—in an orderly fashion. And uh, as I read this, my heart just goes out to this miracle. Wouldn't it have been an incredible experience to be one of those twelve? To hear the son say thank you, Father, and then just begin to hand out thousands of fish and loaves of bread? What would it have looked like? I think of that movie and that song, I can only imagine. Because I think it would have been a breathtaking experience to see the Creator, Jesus Christ, doing such as a normal way of life. Well, three messages here three audiences here the first message that I would like to address is the message for the masses the message for the masses 30,000 again remember and the message is this all of you have come to have your stomachs filled as hungry as you are but I'm the creator God as Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him all things were created. All things. Not just the fish. As small as they were. And the barley loaves. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. Here's Christ. Masses, are you listening? Are you watching? Are you partaking of what was miraculously provided for you? What I am providing for you in physical form, I can provide for you in spiritual form. I can change you. I can cause you to be born again to a living hope. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In John chapter 4, a woman at the well, has it satisfied have all those men satisfied? No, I can satisfy you at the deepest level. Put your trust in me. I can, I can create newness within you being born again. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration. And renewing of the Holy Spirit, to regenerate is to make new. It's not just fish and loaves He's concerned about; it's our souls that He can make new. It's a message to the masses. This morning, I ask you: Have you really come to know Christ? What's fascinating is that you can go to a great church such as South Spring, and you can hear the truth every Sunday. We, uh, but. But think that you're going to heaven because you believe in the right things. You can see miracles happen. But until you say, I'm going to put my trust in Christ myself, totally, not in what I give, not in deeds I do, but in Christ and in him alone, only then do you really become a Christian. Fascinating. I didn't share this with the first service, but I want you to know. I went to Dallas Seminary and every year we would have in those four years in the THM program we would have someone come to Christ at seminary. How do you like that? They knew what was right all that time but as far as actually putting their trust in in Christ they had not. Is there someone here today? You've been going to church, you've been going to a great church you're hearing the gospel but have you held back? in uh, chapter 6 verse 14 therefore when the people saw the sign which he had performed they said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world that is particularly a reference to Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, because it is there that Jesus Christ is predicted to come as a prophet now the Old Testament people had great fear and respect for the prophet who spoke the oracles, the revelation of God. But here is one who's coming as not only the prophet, but the Messiah, the one who would give his life as the suffering saint, as a sacrifice for our sin. Have you come to know him? It's a message to the masses. It's a message perhaps to us, to you this morning, if you have not yet come to Christ. My life completely changed. I grew up in a Baptist church, but I didn't come to Christ till I was 19. I believed in the right things. It wasn't until I, on my own, said, I'm going to put my trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, said John the Baptist. I'm going to put my trust in him and in him alone. I can't work my way up. He came down. I put my trust in what he has done. That's going to get me to heaven. And that's when my life changed. An incredible, overwhelming, unconditional love, At the end of my sophomore year in college, changed me forever. Have you made that decision? Have you put your trust in Christ? This is a message to the 30,000. It may be a message directly for you today. And then, secondly, it's a miracle for the few, a miracle for the few. Verses 12 and 13. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they, the 12 disciples, in verse 13, gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over. How many disciples were there? How many disciples were there? How many baskets were there? Each disciple would go out as an usher and gather all those fragments and the baskets came back full to overflowing. I think the message is clear. If you fellows commit your life to serving me, you really will be a disciple who has left family and house and home and vocation. And you do that for my name's sake to proclaim the gospel. If you make your living by proclaiming the gospel, gentlemen, I will provide for your every need. That speaks to us here in this church on staff. That speaks to us in this church who are in parachurch ministries like Pine Cove and other wonderful ministries represented here. You know what Jesus Christ is saying? I will provide for you. You need not worry, Matthew 6. 33 and following. I will take care of you to the max, to overflowing if you will do work for me and have me as your focus, your master and his glory, not just making money. I'll take care of the money part. I'll provide everything you need. Isn't that great? That's a a message to the few who commit themselves to serving Christ with all of their life and then I believe that there is a message to a third audience and that is to the believers that were there who were following him who had put their trust in him as their Messiah and to us this day we who have come to know Jesus Christ there's an enormous magnificent message for us what did the little boy give him to Andrew to Jesus what did the little boy give him A little sack lunch. Question Was it insufficient? The answer is yes, by human standards. Was it inadequate? (laughs) Of course it was. Five little bitter barley loaves and two little pickled sardines for 30,000 people. (laughs) What a joke almost. Well, what's incredible? It's what Jesus can do with my insufficient life and yours when we give it to him. What we give to Christ is enough. When what we have is placed in the hands of Christ, it is enough, just as that sack lunch is. What we need to think about this morning That's what Christ wants us to know. He can take what is inadequate and insufficient and miraculously multiply its purpose and value for eternity. What he did with the physical, he can do with your life. So many of us here need to consider right now saying, yes, as I play the Christian competition game, he's better and more gifted than me. We need to take simply what we have, what each of us has, and place it in the hands of Jesus, and it will be enough. Ann and I were young in ministry, pastoring in spring, when we went to a Founders Banquet. And at that Founders Banquet was Cliff Barrows. Cliff Barrows is the song leader for the Billy Graham team. And, of course, Billy Graham and George Beverly share with their Lord in Heaven now. But I heard Cliff Burroughs share this at the banquet. His son was going to the seminary those four years. And uh, I remember him saying that he learned his theology at the piano with his mom. He would sing hymn after hymn, learning how to play and what was really the substance of those words, And he said he was so taken back by a particular composer that when he was in this particular northeastern area of Connecticut, he was going to find this lady's place of burial. And so he uh, was up in Connecticut and decided that he would look for Fanny Crosby's tombstone. The person at the gate told him where he would be able to find it, but he was unable. He came back, found a groundskeeper, and said, Would you please take me? And the groundskeeper took him, and no wonder he couldn't see the little face stone, headstone that merely read, Aunt Fanny because it was right behind the colossal monument with pillars to P.T. Barnum, Barnum and Bailey Circus. And what rushed into his mind was the difference that lady made for Christendom for a couple hundred years. But to know her story is to know how it began. For in 1820, she was born in a rural area of New York. And she had this rash on her face, and this country doctor came and put this poultice solution on her face, and it blinded her for life at six weeks of age. And it was this Aunt Fanny who wrote hymn after hymn after hymn hymn to the glory of God to God be the glory redeemed how I love to proclaim it blessed assurance this is my story you know how many hymns she actually wrote? well I found from the 1800s a hymnal no not from the 1800s some of you have never seen a hymnal this is one right here Let's say there's 700 pages close to it in this hymn book. If you were to set that down and 11 more on top of it to where you had over 8,000 hymns, that's how many Aunt Fanny wrote blind from the age of six weeks. What you have is enough. When placed in the hands of Jesus, Would you say that with me out loud? Do it, please. What you have is... Okay, let me do that. I didn't start it right, did I? What you have is enough when placed in the hands of Jesus. Okay, now maybe it's just the acoustics, but I only heard me. Let's do it again. Everyone, I want you engaging in this, will you? What you have is enough when placed in the hands of Jesus. Aunt Fanny. You can have the worldly acclaim of P.T. Barnum and just have a small little headplate monument that's scarcely able to be discovered in a cemetery but change lives for eternity like Cliff Barrow's. Unbelievable. And books. He had over a hundred million Sales in that day and time. Died at the age of 95. Taught at the New York School of the Blind. Had an incredible ministry. Aunt Fanny, I received, a, in the, I don't do Messenger on Facebook. I do a little Facebook, but mostly Ann covers that for the LiveSays. But I get this one message in Messenger, and so I put it on my app just so I can read what Du Jat Thong wants to tell me. He's from Myanmar, and yesterday wrote me. He's one of the guys who, about five years ago, one of the groups I I trained in Myanmar, old Burma. About thirty guys, and he's one of these fellows. And I was teaching in Exodus three and four on Moses and. How dysfunctional Moses was! How insecure Moses was! How he had this heaviness of speech and and, and and even doubted the ability of God. He was so caught up in his own incapacity. Talk about a small sack lunch. <laughs> I'll never forget Lu Jiatong coming up to me with tears in his eyes, probably about 35 years of age, and really tears coming down his cheeks, holding out his right hand, shaking and I saw it and he didn't have all the fingers there and his foot was a club foot and I grabbed both of those hands I, I used both of my hands to grab his one and Gordon my translator translated what he was saying he said do you really think God can use me do you really think it Dr. Bob and I said he used Moses and miraculously worked through him as the great leader of Israel as humble as he was do he can use you so yesterday I saw the pictures again of his school to children of his church of his training of pastors of all these things that he has begun simply because he's inadequate but placed in the hands of Jesus What I want you to see is what I think Jesus wants us all to see. If you're part of a large crowd as this is, and you've always known that Jesus is a good man, perhaps a great prophet, would you put your trust in him as the Son of God who died on the cross to take your place to pay for your sin and who was resurrected to prove that it was effective and it took the resurrected one In John chapter 11. He's the miracle worker. Would you put your trust in him and be free to have a clean slate and find that unconditional love you've been looking for that no other person or job can suffice and give? Maybe you're thinking about full-time ministry. Maybe you're thinking about getting out of full-time ministry because it just doesn't pay enough. Well, I'm here to say that most of my relatives make a lot more money than I do. But you know what? They're not more satisfied. They're not more fulfilled in life. And the rewards in the future are going to exceed those which are just temporal. So I want you to know that you can have 100 times more, not only in this life, but also in the age to come, said Jesus in Mark 10. Don't quit. Keep going. He'll provide the full basket. And then for all of us, what you have is enough. When placed in whose hands? Whether you are Du Jathong or Aunt Fanny, Fanny Crosby, it's enough. And watch what he will do with a little sack lunch called your life. Would you put your trust in Christ? Would you put your life in his hands as we close in prayer? Bow with me. Father, thank you for teaching us your truth by your spirit. How alive your word is and how it creeps into the soul. How it takes its place in our mind and causes us to think deeply about what we're doing with this life that we think is so temporal but is so meaningful. Father, we ask that you admit us where we are. And that we would respond to you and see you as the great and awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen.